0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, veteran member Deadline shares his story from struggling with ADHD during high school, surviving college, and finding his niche in healthcare enterprise architecture, how WSO gave him context on the level of competition for job interviews, his dramatic jump in pay at his latest role, and some wise advice on career paths and specialization. Enjoy this one. Deadline. Thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Pat. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah. So uh, a quick summary of your background would be really helpful.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I can, should I take it from the background of just career? Or should I kind of start off, you know, how I came about, you know, high school as well, all the way from the yeah, beginning? All the way,
0: yeah, all the way, yeah, all the way, all the way back. And then, you know, just quick brush strokes is fine. Broad brush
1: strokes. Sure, sure. Yeah, I just want to paint the context because I'm not like a lot of the people that you see, um, you know, at the target schools or, you know, cushy childhood, cushy background like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. I grew up in Belize, Costa Rica, and a couple other places all over you know, the geopolitical landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was actually running an internet gambling website when we lived in Costa Rica. It went belly up and we ended up moving back to the States where uh, my parents separated at the time. So it was very much, you know, growing up real quick, How being old? exposed to a lot of different diverse countries and whatnot. So I would not say that I have the traditional upbringing. And when my parents split, money was always hard Yeah, growing up. How old um, were you when they split? You know, going, how old I you? was in, geez, sixth or seventh grade. I don't know how old that. Oh,
0: makes, you're pretty young. Yeah, definitely in the
1: formative years.
0: years. Yeah, that's young. Okay, so money was tough. Um, tell me, were you doing jobs, stuff like that? How did you
1: even get into college? Yeah, <laughs> you know, definitely through high school. I was the kind of guy who played a lot of computer games, a lot of Yahoo Sports, mm-hmm. uh, not Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Chess, mm-hmm. Starcraft. Yeah, guns, counter-strike. I was very much like a computer gamer. Yeah, And when I ended up going to high school, I knew nobody. And when you go to high school, you don't know anybody in your computer gamer. Life's not the best for you from a social <laughs> perspective. So Fair. let's just say it was trial by fire trying to find friends. When I did, um, they were quite crazy. Um, I spent a lot of time in high school in in school suspension and detention because I hung out with like the hooligan BMX kids, I guess you would say Yeah. later on. You know, they'd be also the tuner kids once we all got cars when we were 16. Mm-hmm. But you know, school was an afterthought very much. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't get good grades because I suffered with, you know, from ADHD all growing up. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to get yourself to focus what felt like being trapped in a jail for eight hours a day, you know, where they're teaching to – the lowest common denominator with no child left behind. Yeah. And I just found myself going stir crazy, anything to get me out of there, because it just wasn't my pace. You know, you don't really have a choice when you're in public school. Otherwise, you know, you're a truant. If you stop showing up, it's illegal. Right. So I really found you know a lot of my self-identity outside. I got a job growing up at 14 as a dishwasher mm-hmm. at the steakhouse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I worked in, I found a lot of my self-validation identity and whatnot through that job. I stayed there for three years. I was working basically full time to provide myself with clothes. You know, I bought my own first car, but really what it did for me was like, you know, I'm, I'm worth something, you know, this is something I'm really good at. Let's keep grinding this. You know, this is a big positive for me. Mm-hmm. And college was pretty much an afterthought, despite both my parents having attended, it was an afterthought. I really thought I was going to go into the Air Force. I took the ASVAB. I did all of that stuff. Yep. And kind of behind my back, my dad actually applied for colleges on my behalf, and I was accepted <laughs> to my local state school. And I'm like, wow, okay, now I actually do have a, you know, a chance because I graduated high school with a 2.6, barely scraping by. My college essays look like just terrible. Your dad it, wrote your college you know, essays. He he applied. It.
0: Your your dad actually applied for you because he was just so worried about you. Or he tell me about it. Tell me. About I,
1: I guess because I just wasn't really considering it as an option. I hated school so much yeah. in high school, where it's like, why would I subject myself to another four years of that? Right. You know. And then I thought I lacked discipline because I was getting a ton. I was getting in a ton of trouble mm-hmm. in high school. And so, you know, how do I instill discipline if I can't do it myself? Oh, military, perfect. And then, you know, all, all my buddies, I live close to a military base. You know, that was the lifestyle. It's, right. you know, go in there, do your contract, you get the GI bill, you know, if you go to school, right on, if you don't, even cooler, yeah. you know, it's very much the military life. And I'm like, oh, you know, this seems easy enough.
0: So tell but me, were there a lot of like dad, dro- were there a lot of drugs and stuff in high school as well? Just like that was
1: the, how everyone grew up? Uh, I wouldn't so say much. I wasn't a big drug guy. Yeah. Um, I drank a lot. Yeah. It was uh, you know, whether at my job, a little bit on my job, I mean it's the service industry, everybody kinda drinks. <laughs> Wash and, washing you know, dishes. After, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I used to have uh the bartender come back and slip me a styrofoam cut full of mouthwash is what they called it. Yeah. but it was actually uh mint, a little bit of mouth. So take your mouthwash right when you get into work. But yeah, yeah no, it was a great place for a kid to grow up. Yeah. Um yeah. So like between that and like after hours parties and whatnot, um, it was a good time. It was a lot like that movie Waiting, if anybody's seen the movie Waiting. But, um, you know, very much got into college, had a tough choice to make. My mom and dad implored me to really consider college. And, you know, what really sold me was, is, hey, you're not going to be locked up anymore in a chair for eight hours a day doing shit you don't want to do. They're like, you can create your own schedule. You know, it's nonlinear. It's very modular. Take it when you need it. Yeah. get your schedule to work. And I said, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's take a chance. Let's give it a go. And okay. then that's when I got into college.
0: And so tell me about your time there. Were you right away? Did you kind of know what you wanted to do? Tell me about the the whole exploration of like different classes and majors and all that stuff.
1: Right, right. So the, I've always known that I was going to do some sort of business technology. Again, all the computer gaming that I did it led to some interesting areas of you know computer science and um, very much the technology area. I spent a lot of time on chats and whatnot, and I made money as a kid doing a lot of this stuff. Where you know whether it was farming RuneScape gold or you know <laughs> selling Yahoo chess rares, you know just weird internet goods. So yeah. I felt like I was already successful in the business technology area, and I knew that you know I had to work ethic to pull something off. But I couldn't piece it together just yet. I had an idea that I wanted to do something along the lines of management information systems or computer science. Mm -hmm. But when I got into college, apparently you have to know math to do computer science. (laughs) I suck at math. So immediately (laughs) when I flunked out of my college algebra – Uh, first class flunked out just flat out flunked out it was intro to calculus this was not a strong suit for me at all yeah i'm like you know what you know you have have to come to jesus with yourself and realize that you're probably not going to be able to do computer science without a decent math foundation right so i naturally you know kind of swearing off the academic world at the same time i was i rushed a fraternity because you know i was looking for well, first of all, friends, it's great to be in a fraternity at, yep. you know, a good party school, and whatnot, good to be in Greek life, mm-hmm. but more so it's, you know, to kind of, cause I was still in my own town. It was more so to develop that piece of, you know, that polish that what are, you know, the upper class, middle class kids, like how do they view the world, you know, kind of understanding and becoming part of, you know, that, I mean, it's cheesy and cliche to say, but this brotherhood mm-hmm. who could teach me a lot about how the world works. And, you know, developing that level of polish that you need to be successful after college. So were these kids so like, were they,
0: of, were they good actual role models? Did you feel like they were, they had their head on straight and they kind of knew what they wanted to do post-college or were they just too busy partying?
1: Oh, uh, Too busy partying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's the way that they live their lives that it just gives you perspective. You know, when you're from a small town, I, you know, I'm from, from a smaller town. Yep. Um, it gives you perspective as to, whoa, like you guys do this for Christmas or, you know it it shows you there's a whole nother life out there and i ache in it too you know at the end of you know freshman year i started to kind of stress out about hang on i'm not progressing in my career quickly enough you know you start to see people at your college doing well and naturally what was you know very familiar to me is i hit the internet and i started looking looking really hard mm-hmm. you know like hey what should i be doing stumbled upon Wall Street Oasis, way back when, when it was people like Black Hat, North Sider, <laughs> um, Eddie Braverman, like these yeah. characters, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. just illuminating, you know, like this whole world of not even, you know, higher finance, and of course, higher finance, but just white collar professions in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I, I feel like in, in our era, you know, it's, it was cool to watch Wall Street Oasis. I mean, not Wall Street, the, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Or, you know, all those other finance movies. I always loved those. So mm-hmm. I kind of got it, although I wasn't necessarily a finance person, but that kind of gave me the scope and the insight and the context that there was a whole other world out there. Right. And that while at school, yeah, hey, I was partying. Hey, you know, like, uh, and I was in my fraternity and whatnot, in order to build connections like that, I, I took a lot of solace in understanding there's a lot more out there. And what the rude awakening almost was you're getting your ass kicked right now. And it was time for me to really buckle down and figure out what I was going to do with my life after that.
0: Your ass kicked meaning in, class, in terms of classes and stuff, or like just looking at just everyone else, general, you mean just looking when, at everybody when else. you see the there?
1: target school kids who talk about going to yeah, summer analyst to summer analyst. Yeah. to full time position to private equity. It's intimidating.
0: It's intimidating. Yeah, it's intimidating, for sure. I think there's a yeah, lot of that. So. Yeah, so, so it kind of open up that world gave you that context of like, okay, well, here's where you could actually reach to if you applied yourself potentially. Um. So tell me, how did that frame, so you still didn't really go into like a pure finance role. Tell me how you kind of approached your junior, senior year. Did you end up landing some internships and given that knowledge that they were important?
1: Right. Did, yeah, did no, that? definitely. That's exactly what I did. And mm-hmm. At the beginning, I had landed a, you know, a little help desk job at a hospital mm-hmm. and, you know, you're reading all these macro reports and how hot, you know, uh, healthcare is. And I'm thinking, well, you know, this might be a good opportunity to keep branding myself. After that, I landed a healthcare clearinghouse position, so further branding myself there. And again, these jobs weren't paying pennies, you know, yeah. like peanuts. I think I was getting paid ten to twelve dollars an hour yeah. to drive thirty minutes in order to get there while going to school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I just knew, you know, after reading everything on Wall Street Oasis that I have to remain competitive. And I knew that you know my grades were never going to be fantastic because I'm a kind of nonlinear guy. Yeah. I had to beat them out in work experience and very much niche work experience. Yep. So I really powered through that my junior and senior year. And I remember I was recruiting for mostly healthcare IT consulting firms. You know, So think like Deloitte, Accenture, um, some of the, the tier just because I was at a state school, tier ones aren't showing up for us. Yeah. But but tell you me know, about that process. Those jobs like really hard. Tell me what that was like recruiting. <laughs> They're not. I mean, you just gotta be honest with yourself. And I didn't know anybody, so there's no way I'm making it there.
0: So tell me about like that whole pro was it so some of these places were coming on campus. Were you prepping like with your your brothers with you know, just doing like any sort of case prep, or how were you even getting ready for those interviews? Like any sort of soft like a lot of fit type questions, like tell me about your weaknesses. Did you ever did you do any practice going in or did you just go in cold?
1: Right, right. So I, again, I hit up David Wall Street because all my fraternity brothers, they were planning on somehow, you know, nepotistic commercial real estate or yeah. they knew a guy who worked at Dell you were, or, you know what I'm saying?
0: You had, there was money in your frat, basically. <laughs> you had kids Oh yeah, with... very much so. There was money. Yeah. So, I okay. mean, like,
1: although I feel like they had the family connections and network to pull that off, I wasn't confident <laughs> about my ability to do so. And I wanted to win on merit. And so, you know, being able to, you know, get to where I was and finally, you know, interview for these, these things, you know, based off the merit, based on my resume, based off my work experience, it was very invigorating. And I think I took it, took it to my head a little bit. The ego got a hold of me. And I remember walking into an Accenture and a Deloitte interviews, respectively. I had bought the book Case Method, Mm -hmm. or what is it? Case and Point. I forget who writes it, but it's a very popular uh, consulting book. And I thought I was just going to go in there and just Thread them, you know, go in there, rip it up. I made the biggest ass of myself in those interviews. And (laughs) it was just due to a lack of understanding, not prepping as hard as I should have, Mm -hmm. and really not understanding the professional interview experience. And so I busted out of those first two interviews. But that's super common, man.
0: I can tell you even at undergrad. (laughs) I think it's very common for like, especially, I I feel like especially guys like the, just the overconfident, like 19, 20 year old, going in like uh, especially if you're comfortable around people and you're a good conversationalist like you have the energy right you have the you're, you're comfortable talking you're like i'm just gonna go in and kill this and then like it gets down to the actual like tactical of like okay i need to set up my this case now and you're like oh shit <laughs> like i did this once or exactly. i glanced at the book and then you're in trouble um so tell me about yeah. like how you recovered from that so you you just got blown out of those interviews it was embarrassing um was it one of those things where you knew right away, like, there's no way I'm getting called back? Or was it something like, oh, I thought I did well. Were you delusional or did you have some introspection?
1: Oh, I, I knew right away. Yeah. It was the Accenture one. I started talking about an ex-girlfriend during the <laughs> the, the interview. And then the second one, they tried to give me to break out you know, the case about it because I thought I had learned from my Accenture one. Went to the Deloitte one and tried to pull out the case in point that one busted out miraculously because you know I drew the little quadrant I didn't remember what went where I just went blank <laughs> and I'm just like wow anyway I found some more technical roles that would play to my technical skills a little bit better and they were healthcare branded why did and you think you had technical
0: why did you have technical skills where did you get that just from the from like the internet stuff you had done back in the in the day
1: I am a big proponent of you learn about 90% of the stuff you do on a job as opposed to, you know, reading it. It's it's the application of this type of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of technical skills, like let's say, um, Java programming, uh, understanding how to script, um, you know, just little tiny things. I would call them like business process automation type stuff. And then just general technical understanding, because I worked as a system analyst and a healthcare healthcare Mm tech technician um it really helped to you know that was my job i had to be good at it so but you, how did you even know how
0: did you even know to like start applying to those types of jobs or was that's kind of just what was left over
1: it's almost like you look at you know the job field and you go you can kind of classify what's what what's a progression from where you're at yep. and what fits your persona and what you've been doing and the path of least resistance truly you know because you know for these consulting engagements it required A skill set that I hadn't prepped myself for, I didn't spend enough time on the technicals nailing it down, Mm -hmm. but the jobs that I did get, and I'll tell you about the one that I ended up accepting, those ones, it was very much just talking about myself and my experience and where I had been. It felt a whole lot more natural. Than pretending to be a consultant because I thought I wanted to be a consultant because Fair. of Wall Street Oasis <laughs> and you know the rumors circulated. Well, hopefully on, you don't hate us for yeah, that, and put, cool.
0: hopefully we don't. You know, we didn't put you through tra- 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 traumatizing <laughs> no, no, interviews no. <laughs> for you no reason. You guys
1: to the higher standard. I'm always appreciative.
0: So, okay, so tell me, you get into these other interviews. It's more natural. You're you're feeling like you're just talking about fit, your your path. They seem to like you. Um, what type of skill set did you demonstrate, what kind of personality do you feel like you demonstrated that they value?
1: Yeah. um, Very much, they just liked the body of work that I had from a work experience perspective. They loved that it was niched out. Like I stayed in healthcare the entire time. Mm -hmm. You can see the linear progression in the jobs that I took year over year, and I could talk about it concisely, conceptually, Mm -hmm. however you want within an interview because it's what I did, and it was very easy for me to Mm -hmm. verbalize it as opposed to – you know, let me think of how you want to hear this. It's It was a matter right. of fact, it was what I did. Right. And they seemed to really like that. And I remember I had, you know, this, it was genuine, I ended up accepting. It was
0: just genuine. It came but across, again, it was genuine. Yeah, it came yeah, across you. as it wasn't yeah. BS. It was like, this is really why I did this. Like, I'm interested in, in this specific niche and um, you know, I'm not bullshitting. So it's, it came, it comes across that, that likability, that being able to have that genuine nature to yourself, I think, it's just so such a big deal in interviews. So underestimated, um, in terms of totally
1: totally likable. But yeah, and I so. didn't have the GPA in order to pull it off otherwise. So I had yeah. to go on work experience. That's who I was. Yep. that's how I did it. So for okay. the job, I remember the job that I ended up accepting. Um, I remember going out and thinking I was a complete fraud. And I called my mom, and my mom's like, you know, listen, you've been doing this for four, like almost four years now. Like who else has done this at your age? At you know, for four years, you have the context. Go in there and be yourself. You're already in the final round interviews. Just go out there, know yeah. what you know, know what you don't know, and go out there and dazzle them. And at that point, I I'd been through enough failures from an interview perspective. Yeah, I knew what I wasn't, and I went out there. I executed, it. and I got the offer. And it was I, I remember just crying into my hands, <laughs> thinking how far I had come at that point. But. Little did I know that it's a long road to throne. <laughs> it's not even close to the end.
0: So. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you say know what you don't know. I think that's a very, it's, that's you know being humbled a few times in the interview setting, kind of in knowing when to say, I'm not sure, or I don't know in an interview instead of trying to BS is a right. big, big, uh, it's a very important point because anytime you try to fake it, People, I mean, these professionals know they're know what you're trying to do. It's just a disaster. It usually is, it ends in disaster. It either makes yeah. you come across as not genuine, makes you come across as not likable, or just worse like an idiot because um, <laughs> you, you don't know what you're yeah. talking about. So it's, it's almost always better to show. Um, obviously, you don't want to be going through the whole interview be like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no clue about anything. But if you can choose a, a point in the interview where you just flat out say, you know, I actually have no idea. Um, but I can figure that out. You know, I think it actually can work to your advantage. Um, so I completely agree. So continue. So you, it's a really emotional moment for you. Your mother sounds like she was super supportive, which is awesome, and kind of gave you some great advice. And you, you get that inter, you get that full time offer. Was that kind of in your
1: senior year? Yeah, that was my senior year. I remember walking out of class. I took the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I negotiated up my salary a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. And I had landed my dream job, literally the best job I could have landed out of college. I think I had the best job out of anybody I worked with. And again, I really, really credit Wall Street Oasis for putting me ahead of the ball and trying to understand how hard the competition is out there, because you got to push yourself in order to win these interviews. So um, that was big for me. And once I mean, the rest of the semester, I basically partied. I didn't really care about my GPA anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, at that point, it was very much, you know, just spend the time with your friends cause you know, colleges, uh, it's its two different experiences. Of course, it's the educational, but also the people that you meet there, you know, they, they're they your friends for life. So that was, uh, that was important to me. And it was kind of just making sure that my grades stayed in a holding pattern. I graduated with, I think, a 3-3. Yep. Just making sure that my grades stayed in a holding pattern. And I'd be all right. Yeah. And after that, I shipped out, you know, took the job with the – let's call it a blue chip technology co- company. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I came on as a enterprise architect. So think, you know, putting products together in order to create solutions for your industry. Mm-hmm. For me, that was healthcare. Yeah. And for about three to four years, I got, now let's call it three years. I got rocked. I'm happy <laughs> to tell you more about that.
0: Yeah. Tell me hours, tell me pay, anything you can share, pay, pay range. I, I assume, you know, wasn't, It's not banking pay. I assume it's like, you know, anywhere between 50 and 70 K all in. Uh, But tell me, yeah. Tell me what it was like kind of this first few years, just not knowing anything and going from like, I got the job to the reality of
1: actually working. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Again, you think you have context when, or at least I could thought I could draw, you know, um, a juxtapose, you know, what was going on in Wall Street Oasis, what I was experiencing. Yeah. Um, I was able to negotiate my salary up to 76K. Oh, not, plus, that's really good. Like a 5K bonus. Yeah. Wow. So, comparable to like a Deloitte BTA or. That's really uh, impressive, I don't actually. Know what they called it.
0: That's really impressive. Yeah. No, yeah. Right out of it school. Was a good
1: little chunk of change.
0: Yeah. Not bad for a 22 yeah, year
1: definitely, old. Yeah. <laughs> definitely not the uh, the $10 to $12 I've been grinding on you know, for four years. So it was nice to have money. But what happened when I was in that role is I worked with some very, very intelligent people from, we kind of worked on the intersection of research, consulting, and sales. Mm -hmm. So it was very much making these prototypes and proof of concepts for our blue chip technology company to go out there and kind of light up a room, get people excited about a technology, you know, sell or shill the technology, as hard as you can and make sure that you're able to create the actual proof of concepts that you're going to go over there and debut. Uh, I got trashed on the sales part. I got trashed in the proof of concept part. And from a research perspective, I had to go so much deeper than I already was. But and tell for me two years, I really, about... really buckled down on doing that. So
0: tell me what do you mean you got trashed? Like just getting work, like long hours?
1: No, let's just. You you think that like coming out of a fraternity, you know, it it was it was. I felt like I had a level of social polish Mm -hmm. that was unrivaled by most people that I'd run into. Yeah, and there is such a stark difference between college socialization and professional etiquette and professional presentation Mm -hmm. that it was, you know, it's again ego death. You got to just bury the fact that you came from somewhere you thought you were one thing. Now you got to go get better and you got to learn this new skill. So from a sales perspective, I had to build up on that. Yeah. You know, I came in double majored. I really thought I knew my stuff from a healthcare technology standpoint. Yeah. I got buried by PhDs and um, people who patented a lot within the firm yeah. who, you know, would come up with these ideas, you know, the project leaders, the leading architects, the distinguished engineers, these people yeah. would just shred me technically. Yeah. And you know, there's a guy who stamps out POCs in 3 days, it took me 3 months probably. Yeah, you know, so it was just like, oh my god, I'm behind. So POC being proof of concept, years, pr-
0: proof of concepts, or something is that what it, POC?
1: In everything, yeah. really the the sales aspects of the presentation. It sounds like it's a it's a role that's
0: kind of like a consultant slash blend between marketing and well, it's an architect. Right? I guess you're you're taking the technology and trying to figure out what specific areas that you guys can sell into specific sub sub industries. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, and like how to how yeah. to frame so think, how to frame the the technology.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for instance, let's uh, take take a healthcare payer. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of fraud that goes on within the healthcare payer system. That's health insurance companies. Yeah. And you know, so we noodled and we researched. We did all the uh, you know uh, qualifying of the business plan. Like, would this make sense? Could this sell? And then if we got enough yeses and enough backing corporately, you know, enough corporate sponsors who wanted to see it happen, they fund it. And then we have to build what we've been pitching, right. and so we go over there and we, you know, I would take like either a database function. I was responsible for the database, or, mm-hmm. but again, this is not software engineering. I would say this is very much like okay, we have this idea conceptually. How do we make this work? How do we stitch it together? So a lot more integration as opposed to actually writing software. But it was still very hard. So and tell me about have,
0: like, tell me about you like know, your first couple of years.
1: Skill to do it. Yeah.
0: So like your first couple of years out of school, like what's your day? What does your day look like? Like let's talk, let's use that example. So some sort of fraud thing. So like you're trying to put up some sort of fraud solution together. So what do you, you're coming in, let's say you're working on that specific project. What are you doing? Right. Like all day. Meetings, okay.
1: So I get pulled <laughs> on to a team and, mm-hmm. you know, okay, let's say they debut, hey, this got funded. We have an executive sponsor who wants to fund this yep. because they're going to run that down through their sales channels, insight, interest, and hopefully generate revenue at the end of the day. Okay, It gets approved. The project lead, the architect in there basically knows what everybody is good at, you know, what skills they bring to the table. And for somebody like me, I was very much a zero value add. You know, so they give me like the lowest hanging fruit on the tree. Hey, Junior, don't mess this up kind of stuff. Yeah. And after a while, you're kind of tired of, you know, being that individual. So you really go in there and you buckle down because you want some of the more um, responsibility, some of the uh, more action, the cooler parts of the technology. Right. So you definitely start at the bottom. And at the beginning of projects, I remember going into work. I get into work it. Five or six a.m. sometimes, Jeez. and it would just be me reading documentation on a technology that I had to stand up, or you know, what was I gonna, you know, whatever I was assigned. Basically, if I'm doing the deck, if I'm doing um, the database, if I'm doing the mm-hmm. front end, and again, they they wouldn't give you anything too crazy outside of your skill set. Yeah. But I'd say every project I had to self study for at least two weeks to even understand what I was doing. So right. I was dead weight for the first two weeks. Then you go in there, you apply it some guy who's, you know, two levels senior than you knows way more than you is going to shred your project. Yeah. Then you go back and you do it again and, you know, rinse and repeat. It was very much, you know, just a grind technically to understand yeah. how to pull these things off. And it took time. It took a lot of time, a lot of pride, a lot of time, a lot of ego. So were
0: your uh, reviews, were your reviews kind of bad the first few years or are they getting better each year? How did that
1: progress? So thank the lord I had uh, some peers with me. There were five of us, maybe seven if you count some others who joined on. There were seven of us. And I was getting my clock cleaned on the team. Don't get me wrong, but they all they all thought that was how it was. You know, I was a junior. Compared to my peers, I was smoking it. You know, I was over there, you know, I was able to actually pull off these, you know, little marginal tasks, but you know, I was definitely ahead of the pack there. Okay. So although I was a complete, you know, value negative on my team for you know, a decent amount of time they go compared to your peers. You're actually, you know, not doing too bad. I also had to go do presentations and client calls and stuff like that. When I went out to go pitch the actual prototypes and my, uh, my progress there was really good as well. So although I thought I sucked compared to my team, the technical people and the really good salespeople, I still suck, yeah. but I was getting better and I took solace and I, I really liked, you know, working for really smart people because they challenge you, people who are good at what they do, because they challenge you, they show you where you are, Mm -hmm. and you got to keep going in order to get to the next level. That's what I did.
0: At any point, did you pick your head up and be like, okay, what is it where, what's the next step? Like what, I guess we can kind of start talking about like, when did you start looking for a transition? What was the thought process behind that? Did you even know where to look? I mean, who, did you have a mentor? Like what was going on in this whole process?
1: Right. So probably about two years into it, I had developed a pretty good fundamental understanding of computer science theory and uh, enterprise architecture. Yep. So I understood what was coming down the pipe from a project perspective. I could piece it out and I could usually integrate it with very little help at the end there. And I was finally good at that. This On the sales side, I was really doing well at presentations, probably even more so than my technical side. So I knew I didn't have anything there. Mm-hmm. I had cleaned through all the certifications that I thought I would need. Um, in order to get to the next step. But it didn't really hit me. Uh, we had a lot of our teammates uh, got poached by people like Google, mm-hmm. Microsoft, stuff like that. So yeah. I knew there was options there, but I felt like there was still a little bit more for me to learn. Yeah, I kept progressing. I got deep into some technologies that I thought would be useful for me later down the line, notably blockchain. Yep. Uh, I spent about a year and a half doing pretty deep stuff on the blockchain side of things. Mm-hmm. But it got to a point to where it's like, you know, patents, white papers, um, the stuff I was doing started to become, you know, you start asking yourself what's next.
2: Yeah. And I
1: wrote about this on Wall Street Oasis that, you know, at my job, there wasn't a lot of upward mobility. Once you got past the first jump, I made it to lead architect. Yeah. After that, it got very vertical. And the odds of you making the jump internally were very slim, at least in my organization. Mm-hmm. And then I looked, I looked externally and found that it was I'm not going to say nigh impossible, but it was going to be very hard for me to lateral over to another business unit. But I knew in the back of my mind, it's like, I'm pretty good at this job. I have all these external facing certifications. Mm -hmm. And it just got to a point to where I was kind of, I wasn't seeing the vertical mobility I was looking for. And I didn't jump ship when everybody else jumped ship. And I was happy for doing so because I had built up, you know, this technical sales acumen that I think was. Nearing world class, maybe not on the technical side, but the sales the side sales for side. sure. Yeah, and it just got to a point to where it's like, if you guys aren't going to listen to me, or if you're not going to, you know, show me the way up, I have to look externally. And so, so you know, I really worked on my LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, polished up my certifications. Um, my tell me about the, the certifications. You, you you've hard, mentioned the certif- yeah. you've
0: you mentioned the certifications a few times. Is there specific ones for like this type of enterprise architecture type um, career or role?
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I definitely, to anybody listening, I recommend taking, if you're thinking about a role like this, Vive for the Cisco Certified Network Architect. That'll give you a very sound understanding in networks. Mm -hmm. I recommend the AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services Solution Architect Certification. That'll give you a good idea as to how to plug componentry together in order to create solutions. Mm. And I'm trying to think of any other certifications that I have that I really like. Those two right there I think would give you a fantastic base for really a technical base for understanding how to create solutions especially these days and days where everything's in the cloud. Fair. Those two is what I put.
0: Okay, on. so you're you have those you have those certifications, you're kind of hitting your stride um a little bit on the technical side but really on the sales side you're doing these presentations people are really impressed with your ability to kind of stand in front of a client and deliver the message, right? Um and so, but you still feel like there's very limited up your, you are already, you're already at lead architect here. Um, and so you start polishing your LinkedIn profile and then how are you looking at jobs? Is it similar large companies where you're looking at like other enterprise architect roles or like, what's the next trend? What's typically the next level up for this type of role?
1: So what what I was trying to do at my blue chip technology company was very much level up to you know, lead architect or at a higher level, or you know, they call them client CTOs or CTA client technical architects. Mm-hmm. But those positions just weren't opening up, and I knew what the position looked like. It was very much like those two roles that I knew of internally, but I was just looking for them externally. And I applied to these jobs primarily not not because I'm lazy, but because I thought there was plenty of opportunity on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. LinkedIn only, really. I didn't do Monster, I didn't do Indeed, I didn't do yeah. any of those. I found everything that I was looking for on LinkedIn. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go in there, you go through the automated process, and after about spending a month, I had five interviews because of the experience I had accumulated and my specific niche skill set in the healthcare industry. Yeah. And so, when those jobs became available, there they weren't plentiful, but there were so few people who could do those types of roles that I almost always made it to the second round of these interviews. Right, And the firm that I ended up signing on with, um, they were standing up a healthcare vertical. Think of this as a, a large Fortune 20 firm yep. with a corporate stra- – with, uh, let's say, uh, uh, an initiative internally to stand up a healthcare vertical in order to sell their products better to healthcare clients. Got it. And you know the job required it was it, it was it was kind of written as a low level executive. You know you got to go out and you got to preach the good word of you know the firm, the products, you know how they're changing healthcare, how they improve, you know clinical outcomes and change lives. Um, but also there was you know not only that speaking portion of it, but also you know solution orchestration. And, you know, uh, like a business development component of it in order to get the right partners in there. Right. And, you know, working on with some of the more strategic partners, the larger partners. Um. So all those things right there really appealed to me. I applied, originally got declined, and they came back and told me, hey, would you like this role? And it was a role probably, you know, a level below. I said no, because, again, I wasn't desperate. I had five other interviews outstanding.
2: Right. Right. They end up
1: calling me back and they go, hey, you know, the, the other candidate fell out. You're back in. We'd love you to meet and interview with our senior vice president in order to kind of, you know, give it the check mark. I interviewed with him. Everything went fantastic. And I've been working here ever since.
0: Cool. And tell me about that. So it seems like you're, are you managing more people at this new role? Are you, is it more just more speaking? Um, tell me about that. Or is it more like just, sure. you're you're, at a, you're more senior, right? So it's less about doing the actual architecting, I'll call it, <laughs> and more about like right. just uh, the messaging around it. Is that
1: fair? Right, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's very fair. And again, I went from uh, healthcare solutions architect to director of healthcare industry solutions, or, mm-hmm. you know, that type of, you know, uh, more abstracted away from the technology, just as you mentioned, because, you know, you're more senior and whatnot. Yeah. Um but I was not given a team. I am an individual contributor and very much they just they were trying to stand up this this vertical mm-hmm. and I was very much in charge of, you know, external facing collateral, um ensuring that the solutions that we were running out were sound that they made sense to the business. Okay. Um I did a lot of proof checking, I spent a lot of time building my own content, my own material. I spent the first 6 months really trying to understand you know, the product portfolio and what we could stitch together that would sell, that would add business, add value to these businesses. Mm-hmm. So I'd say for like the first year, it was very much standing this thing up from the ground up. You know, how was our firm going to come to market in the healthcare vertical? Got it. And then going out there and spreading the word. So there's the speaking portion of it all. And I remember going to all these speaking events. It, you'd start off internally taking the, you know, the, uh, those who would come and visit the firm, um, you know, they pay for their flights and they go, okay, uh, pitch the vision to these people. I would bomb because it was, you know, the next level of the, I was no longer talking to business tech uh, uh, technical people about the solutions. You had to abstract it. and You had to talk about it from a business perspective. Yeah, which I kind of did at my previous firm, but this just illuminated that it was a completely different audience, talk track, agenda, yeah. audience, yeah. all of the above. Yeah. And so for the first year, I really struggled from a presentation standpoint. I remember asking my boss, and you know, he was trying his best to help me out. He's like, Hey, I think you'd be good for Toastmasters. I'm like, dude, I don't suck that bad. You know, <laughs> it's just I just need some more reps under my belt. So spent, <laughs> you know, the year really getting it in and dialing it in. And then by year two, where I am this year, yeah, it's pretty much all secondhand and I'm speaking at the largest conferences in the world from not only an IT, but a healthcare perspective. And things have really caught on there. And the other types of, um, you know, the other facets of my business, you know, the uh, strategic partnerships, the business development, the solution orchestration. Mm -hmm. If I have enough political capital and um, not an aura, but like people know who I am to a degree. They know that I put in hard work. They know that my ideas are sound. They know my brand. And right. so I've really been able to leverage that after the first year, really putting my head down and getting my ass kicked mm-hmm. to second year where it's like, all right, I've arrived. Here we go.
0: Fair. So tell me a little bit. You, you were pretty well paid coming out of undergrad. Can you tell me a little bit about the progression? So you had, you know, over three years, almost four years um, at your first firm um, and then was the pay jump significant. So I assume you were getting close to six figures at your first firm by the end, if not more, um, Was the jump significant.
1: I was very very significant.
0: So, do you mind sharing a by range? By the time
1: I left, yeah, so. yeah, no problem. Yeah. By the time I left my first firm, mm-hmm. I think I topped out the final year at one twelve, all mm-hmm. in bonuses, right? That type of stuff. Yeah. When I got my offer from the other firm, I was looking for one twenty, maybe like a, a nice little performance bonus,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, or maybe one thirty. One thirty would have been crazy, right? Yeah. I get on the phone with HR and we're talking out price and whatnot, and he starts breaking out, you know, what I'm about to get paid the tender. And I went in there, I asked for one. He's like, well, you know, we can't even pay you that little because it's against, you know, what we're about to hire you for. He, he goes, I have to give you 155 to start, and you're entitled to company shares worth about 50,000 a year. And there's two more bonuses that you can hit. One's pretty much a given based on company performance, <laughs> and it's about 17 to 19% of your annual pay. Plus, your manager, if he really likes you, can give you an additional 29% on top of what you're making. Whoa. Whoa. All in, if I were to like knock it out of the park, I'd be 3Xing, maybe, yeah, 3Xing plus what I was making out of my previous job. Yeah, that, that was... That came as a serious shock. Money's no longer an issue for me. so <laughs> that was a very nice feeling.
0: But what do you think? I mean, I think what's really interesting about your background and you as a guest is just talking to you. You really have an interesting um, kind of match of skill sets. So you have like the technical side in terms of like enterprise architect, yet you're not good at math, which is really shocking. Um so you know you have but but you're a speaker, right? So it's like you can you can speak well. You probably carry yourself well at at these firms, and so you're put in an area of leadership because you're client facing, you're company facing, and that's super valuable, especially when you're bringing the technical mm-hmm. skills on the backside. So I can totally understand. What, it doesn't surprise me that you um, saw that big jump and that you're you're where you are right now. Just just having talked to you right now, so. Congratulations on that. That's really exciting. Um, Thank you. And then tell me about you. like, you know, future. Is it, is the trajectory similar? Is it just keep going up every year or is it more like, okay, you, you have that major jump when you shifted and then it's just like, you keep getting more shares every year and that's kind of the, the boost.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I have, I have grandparents who are like, this is what you do. You're going to hold on to this stock for the rest of your life. You retire at 50, you know, you retire to a golf course and whatnot. Yeah. It, I, I get it. You know, if I stayed in this role for probably another twenty years, mm-hmm. I can see the path to, you know, senior vice president, perhaps even, you know, C level in twenty years if I really continue at the pace that I'm moving.
0: Yeah, and but you'll have again, millions of dollars also, in the bank. And yeah, yeah but whatever. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, it, the, the trajectory is fairly. Uh, once you make it past like a certain level within an organization, for us, it's you know the director position that I'm at. Mm-hmm. then you can kind of see where you go up. You know, there's just a very linear progression. You know what you have to do. It's uh, very it's very bureaucratic, very political. But, you know, the amount of time that you put in in hours and days and years counts a lot in order for qualifying for those types of roles. You got to pay, your dues. You so gotta pay like, your dues. You got to pay your dues. You got to be showing yeah,
0: your face. You got to be playing the game. Yeah, it's a large corporation. Much. So it's like it's going to be, like you said, very political is your boss in the right seat? Is he moving up or she moving up? Right. That's a big, that probably plays a huge role.
2: Totally. Totally.
0: Um, so tell so me about that. Are, do you feel like you're, you're positioned properly? Do you feel like you don't really care because you don't see yourself sticking around for 20 years? Um,
1: <laughs> so, what, what I'm doing there is, you know, I, I, I it took me a long time to be cognizant of that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I write about it. I wrote about, you know, anti institutionalism where, you know, you don't want to stay running in place where somebody dangles a carrot that doesn't really mean anything to you if that's not the game you want to play right and so you know you look at exactly everything that you talked about you know people's political standings where are they at who do they know where are they at in the hierarchy are they going to retire you know what about the business is it going to shift this way is that going to open up a spot right it's sure you can play that game all day and i do play that game all day but it's you know it's understanding where you want to go in the future and for me right now It's I'm doing something that I've been doing since I started, and that is to not only play your job in your institution, but also you have to play the field. I'm heavily involved in a lot of initiatives outside of my job, Mm -hmm. whether it be professional organizations or, um, you know, working with individuals on cool projects who, you know, one off, um, very much running the, the, the speaking circuit this year. You know, I I built it up to where again I'm doing CES and hymns this year. Like I'm you're building your personal that. brand. And then, you're
0: building your personal brand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: totally. And a yeah. big thank you for nominating me for Forbes this year. I appreciate that. I'm <laughs> going for that. And I feel like I'll have a level of political clout to where I'll have more moving power, whichever direction I want to go. Right. But again, it also gives me the luxury of I can kind of sit back. And just kind of take it in. I don't have to jump anything too quickly. Yeah. But I guess long story short to your question is I'm kind of just hanging out right now. I'm waiting to see if something presents itself. Every now and then I'll get an idea for a startup that I go crazy for for about a week or two. I'm out there drawing architectural diagrams. <laughs> I'm lining up who I put in there. Yeah. And then I kind of just, uh, you know, do I really want to do that? You know, stuff starts picking up at work. So right. I'm kind of waiting, sitting back, waiting. I have the luxury. You know, I have to really bust my ass for as much time as I have that nobody can really do my job. I like the position I'm in. I like my boss. I like the work that I do. Yeah. And I don't necessarily feel compelled to go anywhere. So well, that's kind of where I'm at.
0: That's great, man. That's a lot. I wish, I think a lot of people wish they were in a similar boat where they enjoy coming to work every day, you know? Um, so there's something to be said for that. There's a lot to be said for that. So, th- yeah, the startups, right. startup ideas can be sexy and whatnot until you start. Digging in there, and you really realize, wait a second, I'm going to have to put everything at risk that I've worked so hard for, in terms of maybe all right. your savings and maybe whatnot. Um, especially if you're going to do a startup in this space, I'd assume that it'd be pretty expensive. Um, but, anyways, any other thoughts? Any other kind of before we call it, any other words of wisdom you'd give your younger self? You know, think back to like your your high school days or your college days and how lost you were, in terms of where you are now. Anything you you tell kind of similar members that are that are at that age?
1: Yeah, um I think it's important I think it's important for your younger self and as you're growing up to really understand yourself. You know, what are you interested in? What gets you up at the beginning of each day and excites you, you know, to do what you do and to have an idea of who you are in this world. A level of self-awareness, a level of self-discovery I think is imperative for understanding and maintaining happiness, you know, through your life, not only through career But, you know, as you progress through, you know, the journey of life. And then second of all, I'd really stress, you know, uh, going in there and, you know, getting the hours in and working hard in order to, you know, get to where you need to be, wherever you think that is. Mm -hmm. And always be surveying where you see opportunity. Like I fell into healthcare. It felt like not only from a gut instinct, but everything I looked at, I should stay here. And then I fell into kind of, you know, technology and places where I excelled. I was good. I feel like if you're an individual coming up, you want to stay where you're near or at the front of the pack always, because this world is very competitive Mm -hmm. and you need to find the niches, the areas and how you add value in almost every situation, you know, in your career. So always be cognizant of that. Always be looking forward. Look for the opportunity. Push in the chips when you have them, cash them in when you need to, mm-hmm. and just always stay surveying, have a level of self-awareness, and have an idea of where you're going. That's what I tell my younger self. I have a little brother who I tell that to, and um, I firmly believe in it on a day-to-day basis.
0: That self-awareness, I think it's easy to say. It's hard to do, right? I mean, it's hard to teach self-awareness. Agreed. I think it's one of those things that sometimes just age in time. Um, helps, helps teach that and mm-hmm. getting, like you said, getting killed a few times or getting, you know, slammed at your, your new job when you think you've, you've won the, t- when you've won the trophy, getting the job offer, and then you realize, wait a second, this, this work thing's not so easy. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time deadline. I think, uh, it's been, it's been super informative and yeah, I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Patrick. I really appreciate the time. I thank you for everything that you've done with Wall Street Oasis. and I look forward to a great future on the
0: boards and with everybody listening. Cool, man. Appreciate it. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.